Welcome to A Vibrant Vision Podcast, a podcast exploring Richard Seaman's book, A Vibrant Vision, the entrepreneurship of multi-generational family business. We will talk about creating, running, and maintaining a successful multi-generational business. This podcast will be an asset on the way to understanding all the book has to offer, and you will get to hear from Richard and the supporting players that have made Seaman Corp what it is today. I am your host, Crystal Ribble. Do you recognize the value of your workforce? Are you aware of the significance of hiring the right people for your business? What if we told you that you can not merely try to hire the right people? You must have an entire human resources system that makes this possible. At Seaman Corporation, this is known as the human capital function, and it is the foundation for which their processes and successes have been built. Seaman Corporation is a worldwide company known for industrial fabrics, using the imagery of fabrics and how things are woven together to create beautiful tapestries. Richard Seaman talks about the need for a solid HR function as a foundation in his book. Richard says, a vibrant vision will describe the strategies and critical business processes that need to be embraced and institutionalized to support future growth and sustainability. As we will see in this first podcast, the people Seaman Corp have invested in are the threads who have woven a beautiful tapestry at this company. Let's take a look at what it means to invest in human capital. First, let's meet Richard Seaman. My name is Richard Seaman, and I am chairman of Seaman Corporation. Once Richard took over the business after his father's passing, it wasn't long before he realized Seaman Corp needed more than a regular HR manager. They needed an entire HR function that was approached in a very innovative way. So I think, you know, as I started in my career, uh, one of the things that I recognized early on and fortunately understood, came to understand and, and, and put some focus on it was uh, the importance of the human resource function and the human capital in your business. Now, that didn't happen overnight. Um, I worked with my father for 10 years, uh, where we grew the business from about 2 million to 10 or 12 million. And then he unfortunately got lung cancer and, and passed away. That was uh, from 1968 to 1978 when he passed away. And after he uh, passed away, and I was reflecting on our first 10 years of or my first 10 years in the business and the growth of our business, uh, it, what I recognized was that uh, we we would kind of grow for a bit and then we would plateau off and then we would grow and then plateau off. And when I thought about the plateaus, they basically were because we didn't have the right leadership team in place and the right managers in place to carry us to the next level. Um, at that time, we were probably employing somewhere between 150 and 200 associates. But we had no one who was spending their time or was responsible for the human resource or the human capital of the company. We didn't even have a personnel manager, which handles the administrative or custodial kinds of things. So I stepped back and said, you know, if HR, human resources are our most important asset, then we need a person whose full time responsibility is dedicated to the human resource function. This would not be just a personnel manager, but it was, we, we titled it Director of Human Resources. I went and did a search and, and we hired a person uh, who came to work for us at that time. 
I tried to make it clear that that person's responsibility was not just the administrative function, not just hiring, not just um, benefits, and then those typical kinds of things that fall under the personnel manager responsibility, but that it was a strategic function and that the director of human resource uh, reported directly to the CEO or the president. I think that's very critical. And in so many cases of businesses, you don't see that occur. They're reporting to some administrative function, basically, but they need to report directly to the CEO so that they can understand and give input into the strategy of the company. Once they understand what the strategic direction for the company is, then the director of human resource or your top human resource individual has to be able to tell the team, do we have the organization that can execute this strategy? And if we don't, what should that organization look like? And then if we have the organization, do we have the right people in the right places to be able to execute that? So that's kind of the overall strategic function. And then that leader of human resource has to go out and execute on that plan. While this function is certainly needed for further growth, the need for a solid HR function doesn't often show itself until you have created the space for it. Now, I have found that entrepreneurs when they're building businesses and, you know, observing my father was an same experience. I mean, you're, you're building a business, you're really focused on the product or the service that you're trying to provide. And what you look for are human resource support that essentially are technical enough. They understand what you're, you know, what you're trying to create again, whether it's a product or a service. So, the recognition that you need to have somebody dedicated to the HR function doesn't surface till well down the road when the business is much, you know, it's growing, it's successful, it's getting traction. And then you have to come to this realization as the entrepreneur that you need somebody whose dedicated full-time responsibility is the human resource function. For the HR department to be successful at maintaining the HR function within the business, there needs to be complete and total alignment between the managers and associates hired within the business. Richard sees this come to life through communication. When the chief human resource leader is reporting directly to the CEO, then that person is part of the development of the strategy either providing input into the strategy or certainly recognize and understands the basis of the strategy. As I mentioned earlier, the human resource director has to confirm that, you know, you have the organization that can execute that strategy. And then do you have the people within that organization that have the skills and talents that you need to have to execute the strategy? Following that is the communications responsibility. The HR function has a huge role and to be sure that the communication processes are in place and maintained that effectively communicate the strategy throughout the entire organization, all the way down to the person on the shipping dock. The reality is that the people in your organization, if you've got the right culture, all want to accomplish the same thing. You know, they want to take care of customers. 
And if they don't have a direct contact with the external actual customer, they certainly have direct contact with internal customers who have to get a good job done to take care of that external customer. So trying to communicate to everybody what we're trying to accomplish, how the organization is planning to accomplish it, it's that effective communications on a regular basis that helps bring total alignment amongst all of the managers and then all of the associates that are responsible for getting this done. As you grow, that gets more and more difficult, obviously. And as you have people in the field spread out across the country, or I guess in some cases now across the world, the communication processes you put in place that regularly communicate what the strategy is and how you're doing against that strategy are critical. And that is an important role for the um, director of the human resource function. Creating the right HR function within your business affords you to hire amazing people who are aligned with the company's strategy and have complete buy-in to the future vision. Your desire to have associates who don't look at their job as just a job Your desire is to have associates who buy in and embrace the strategies of what this institution is trying to accomplish. And if you can get that to happen, um, you know, people want to come to work. They, you know, they want to be part of, of something that's successful and taking care of customers out there. So, again, a successful human resource function can accomplish that. And it's it's a very critical strategic objective of the of that particular function. All in all, if you want your business to grow, this piece of the puzzle, or in the imagery of a vibrant vision, this part of the tapestry is paramount. I think the human resource as a strategic function within a business organization is um, truly underestimated by most organizations, what the significance and importance of that is. And so entrepreneurs and business owners that want to grow their business, uh, particularly if they want it to be multi-generational, will recognize the importance of having a very good leader to fulfill the human resource function of a business. Richard's commitment to finding the right people to join Siemen Corp and then investing in those people on both professional and personal levels would pay off. When we come back, you'll hear more from Richard and some other members of the Siemen Corp team about the wonderful perks this business has for their leaders and anyone advancing within their company. Established in 1949 and now headquartered in Wooster, Ohio, with additional manufacturing in Bristol, Tennessee, Siemen Corporation is known worldwide for the production of high-value, high-performance fabrics. Among some of the applications, Siemen Corporation fabrics are used for geomembrane liners, architectural structures, truck tarps, roofing membranes, and applications for the military and government. With the combination of a unique, puncture-resistant fabric construction with a commitment to superior customer service and satisfaction, Siemen Corporation fabrics exhibit incomparable product performance. Being a part of the Siemen team not only puts you on the forefront of industrial fabric innovation, but also affords some wonderful benefits, all housed within a family atmosphere. 
If this sounds like a place you need to be, visit SeamanCorp.com slash join dash our dash team. If you are just joining us, we have been chatting with the chairman of Seaman Corp, Richard Seaman. He previously explained to us the importance of creating a definitive and structured HR function within your business and how that is directly related to the success you will have in your company. His book, A Vibrant Vision, explores this idea in detail, but we wanted to give you a glimpse inside the book and allow you to hear from Richard himself. Within the HR function, you will cultivate leadership, and in doing so, there are many ways to sustain great leaders. If you're going to grow your business, you got to grow your people, and that's all the way down the line. So we have training and development opportunities for everybody that that works for us. Growing your people. This is an idea Seaman Corp. is committed to, and we are excited to show you all the ways in which they invest in their people. So I was fortunate, um, you know, shortly after my father passed away of, of building an outside board of directors. And one of our board members uh, was a industrial psychologist who did uh, assessments and all. And I, and I asked him on a flight one day uh, what he thought about my leadership or what I could do around my leadership. He agreed to give me a little coaching. He would sit in on my uh, management meetings and after a meeting would be over, he'd come over and, and talk to me about what he thought I could do in a better way. I didn't think too much about this being quote unquote an executive coaching process until several years later. And I was at a, um, at a YPO conference out in California. And one of the sessions that we had was with the then co-CEO of um, Charles Schwab, uh, David Patrick. Uh, there were about a hundred CEOs in this auditorium listening to his presentation. And Charles Schwab had just grown quite a bit. They had like 11,000 um, dealers, brokers across the country. They were outperforming you know, the major brokerage companies like Merrill Lynch and so forth. And so it was a very interesting conversation and presentation that he made to, to our group. At the end of the presentation, when he said, well, I'll just take one more question. Uh, one of the people in the audience said, well, Mr. Patrick, uh, just what do you do for yourself to kind of keep you in tune with what's going on and how you're developing your skills? And David said, well, he said, I have a leadership coach. And it kind of took us all aback a little bit. And he said, well, you know, you need to think about that regardless of, you know, what your position is and what your career development is and, and what your high level responsibility is. Uh, you can always use a leadership coach. Let's take example, for example, uh, who's the greatest golfer. And at that time, it was Tiger Woods, which everybody knew. And he said he always travels with a coach who's watching him all the time. And just seeing if there's anything that comes into his swing or the way he's playing that that he uh, needs to have some advice on, you know, that he's varied from one way or the other. So he said, I have a coach um, that, you know, watches my leadership style all the time. And I provide a coach to all of my key managers and they get to select who it is that they want. And they all do that. Well, 
I took that experience to heart, basically, and I came back and we started looking for coaching resources that we could offer to our leadership team. It was interesting because there was a paradigm within the organization. And I think this is true in most organizations. When we talked to one of our business leaders and said, we'd like to have you, you know, we think you've got potential. We'd like to, you know, have a coach, leadership coach work with you. He thought there was something wrong with it, you know, as did the other people in the organization. They thought, oh, what's wrong with me? You know, I've, I'm going to have a coach. Is it this last shot of whether I'm going to keep my job or not? Well, after he got the experience with the coach, he saw that what we were truly doing is making an investment in his leadership, leadership growth. And we, we thought he had potential and we wanted to develop that potential. It didn't take very long for the rest of the managers of the organization to see that when they got a coach, we were investing in their leadership and they were basically standing in line for a leadership coach. We use that very, very frequently. We have uh, really several different resources for leadership coaches. And when we decide to invest in an up and coming manager, uh, we let them talk to one or two or more coaches to decide which one they feel will work most closely with them in the best way. Um, and it's, it's just been a very, very successful way to continue to grow our um, senior leadership and our actually middle management leadership also. One person who has been a vital part of the current status of the executive coaching, as well as the overall heartbeat of the HR function process at Seaman Corp, is a woman by the name of Susan. Hi, I'm Susan Mead. I'm the Vice President of Human Resources for Seaman Corporation. I've been with the company for about 12 years and in the human resources field for about 20 years. Susan has the unique opportunity to be on the front line of cultivating leadership at Seaman Corp. As Richard has shown us, cultivating leadership happens in many ways, but so much focus on leadership has an eye to the future and where they see not only Seaman Corp heading, but where the individual associates within the company are headed. We do have an executive coaching program, and it really extends beyond executive coaching. So what I think is a little bit unique about how we do things at Seaman Corporation, um, in addition to our executive leadership team, um, each individual being partnered with a coach, we also look further down the organization with kind of a future view. So as we as as future leaders start to emerge in the business, then we're quick to pair them up with with coach leadership coaches as well. Um, and, and that might be a little bit different skill set rather than leading the business today. It's really preparing them to lead the business tomorrow and, and kind of looking at their weak spots, doing maybe a 360 and. Um, you know, initially that's kind of a shock to people when we say, well, we think we want to pair you with a coach. They assume something's wrong, but really it's a very positive um, and fantastic career opportunity for someone to be to, to actually get a leadership coach uh, because that's preparing them to be a future leader of the business. And we have such great feedback when, you know, because it's uncomfortable when you first work with a coach, it can be very uncomfortable. Uh, you're very vulnerable talking about yourself and, and some of the areas where you need to improve, but 100% we get such great feedback and, and very good results from, from our coaching engagements. 
another benefit that, we, that we've seen from executive coaching in some circumstances as we've brought new leadership into the organization. So someone who came from another company or outside, we've been able to pair them with a coach who's very familiar with our environment and our culture. So that's been a huge resource to them because everything that you discuss in coaching is very confidential. So it's it's kind of like a neutral third party where someone coming into the organization can, can get a better understanding of um, maybe something historical that's happened in the organization or really just something about our culture. So I think it's been a great resource. Susan has been able to be a personal advocate for the executive coaching program because not only was she tapped to do this before she was an executive, she is still participating in this process. When I joined the company, I joined as an HR generalist. And I really just took advantage of getting involved in other areas of the HR department and other areas of the business and just kind of um, continued to grow my skill set. Um, I benefited heavily from having a great mentor that I worked for when I came into the organization. And as he was thinking about retiring, he started talking to me about being his potential successor. And at that point, he partnered me with a coach. And I was just like everyone else. I said, oh, I don't need a coach. I know what I'm doing. What am I doing wrong? I, th- I thought you wanted to be in this role. So, um, but I was I was um, partnered with a fantastic coach. And she she really did help help me see some of my blind spots and gave me tools to work on that. And and it was, it was challenging. Most of the assignments were very challenging. Um, you had to dig deep and really go in those areas where you're not necessarily comfortable um, talking about or, or acting in. So, so it was a great experience for me. Once I got promoted into this this executive role, uh, I was then partnered with a, with a different coach who really helped me um, not so much on my skill set, but really um, my skill set as a manager, but really as a, as a leader of the business. Then, so we worked on things um, more thinking more strategically, more than the day to day managing that I used to be in in my previous roles. When you have these kind of opportunities offered to your employees um, that, again, they feel more part of the organization and feel as though the organization is investing in them uh, as well as they're, you know, investing in the organization. The work to cultivate the next set of leaders is a train that keeps moving down the track. Seaman Corp. has a specific process in which they notice, invest in, and promote the next generation of leaders in the company. Succession planning at all levels must be properly prepared and executed well. In an organization, a business organization, any business organization that wants to have sustainable growth, succession planning has to be a really key part of the human resource function and process. It's even more critical if you're talking about being multi-generational because you have succession planning, not only in terms of managers and leaders of an organization, but then you have succession planning from an ownership standpoint. So you're looking at, you know, shareholder succession planning for future generations. You're looking at a succession planning within the governance process, your board of directors. And those board of directors, have the important role of succession planning within the organization itself. As most boards will say, their most important responsibility is to be sure that there is a successor to the CEO, picking out the successor to the CEO. A CEO, again, if it's growing, it's the business, he or she 
will have to be sure that their human resource function is working on succession planning at all levels. So one of the things that we do in our organization is have um, what we call C-sessions, and that's spelled S-E-A, and it stands for Strategic Evaluation of Associates, S-E-A, Strategic Evaluation of Associates. When we do our strategic planning process and we finish that cycle, we have a C-session. And what we do, as I mentioned earlier, is look at the strategies that we want to execute to grow the business and determine whether or not we have the organization in place that is capable of executing that strategy. Then we look at whether we've got the people in place. Well, this C-session that we have is where we're evaluating all of the associates that we have and determine whether they're capable of executing on that particular strategy. All of that leads into a very robust, continuous succession planning process that goes down throughout the entire organization. Proper succession planning comes from hiring the right people and continuing to invest in them both personally and professionally. One role that Richard believes is a pertinent part of planning the succession of the company is the COO position. I have observed business owners who are successful and grow their business as they get older. You know, they have this desire to have a second in command, a number two person. Selecting that person is very, very difficult. Um, And I would say the vast majority of cases where I've seen this happen, it has failed. And the reason for it is that the reason the owner of the business wants a second in command is so that he or she can focus more perhaps on the product or service they developed and created, or they want more time off or they're starting to think about successorship. Selecting the person is what becomes difficult. Oftentimes, they'll select somebody that's been with them for a long, long time, but really doesn't have the skills to move into that role. Many times, they'll go to the outside and look around and and bring a new person in and kind of anoint that person as as his successor. In many ways, they they prayed them through the organization. Of course, the organization (laughs) raises their eyebrows. I think the more difficult part has to do with what happens after somebody's selected. Again, in the majority of cases I observed, what happens is that the CEO owner has a little bit of orientation for the second in command. Let's call him the COO in this in this particular case, and then she leaves or he leaves, and the COO is left to run the operation. And there's not very many touch points between the two. The new COO can be extremely successful, except the way he did things would be perceived as being different by the owner than the way the owner would have done it. And so the owner has some degree of frustration. Um, Or maybe the COO is not successful, but it's not picked up early enough because they don't have enough touch points. So what happens is you, you find misalignment occurring pretty quickly. When I say that, I'd say that, you know, it might be one year, two years. In some cases, I've seen it three years down the road where there's this misalignment. And the COO thinks 
he or she's doing a great job and then suddenly is called in and said, no, this isn't the way I want you to do all of that. So they go their separate ways. When I came to the decision to, to promote a person who had been working for me for probably five or six years at that time in a number of positions, controller, vice president of finance, vice president of operations, and it became clear that he he needed more responsibility. The scope of that responsibility needed to be clear. And, and, and so I had him uh, promoted as COO just so he could be clear about what his level of authority was. I made a point of having a quarterly retreat with him all year long without fail. We did that for 15 years. Every quarter, we had an off-site retreat for at least two days and sometimes three days. What we would do is that I would make the agenda up of the topics I, you know, I wanted to review and talk about, and he'd be prepared to talk about those. And he would add items to the agenda. And we would spend these days talking about them combined with a uh, mixture of social activities, whether it's playing golf, going skiing, driving a race car someplace, any number of things. But we tried to find a venue that we both would enjoy being at. What I found in this process were a number of things. One was that if there seemed to be a difference of opinion about a strategic direction or even a tactical issue, once we sat down and talked about it, it really wasn't a difference of opinion. It was a difference of perspective. And when we got into a venue where we could really talk about it, and you can't do this in a 15-minute discussion in an office, but you've got time to do that, um, then what you find out is you appreciate the perspective. Each of you appreciate each other's perspective. And many, many times you came up with a better solution to the issue than what either one of you had started out with. So that was of great value. The second one was the trust that was developed over time. And, you know, at the end of a quarterly retreat, you know, I knew how the CEO was going to run the business for the next 90 days. Okay. More importantly, I think, is the COO knew that I supported what he was going to be doing and didn't have to make decisions thinking I was looking over his shoulder or second guessing his decisions. Now, that sounds like, okay, every 90 days you're checking on each other. But what happens over time is you get more focused on the strategic issues and the tactical issues. You have enough trust. They just kind of take care of themselves at that point. But I think that was invaluable to the success of our working as team members for 15 years and growing the business. I'm going to, I don't know, from the time he started COO, probably growing it from $15 million to $100 million in size. This COO position was a vital part of the propelled succession of the company. The way in which Richard chose to build that relationship and invest in this key player set up this COO's individual success as well as the company's success. When we come back, we will meet another key player at Seaman Corp and talk more about how Seaman Corp continuously invests in its people.
This podcast is a small snippet of the great information housed inside of Richard Seaman's book, A Vibrant Vision, The Entrepreneurship of Multi-Generational Family Business. To have a vision of growing a small family business into a sustainable multi-million dollar business requires distinctive processes that support innovation, human capital development, strategic planning, and quality assurance in manufacturing and service. A Vibrant Vision shares the experiences of the author in his growing family business after his father passed away at a young age and building this industrial fabrics business into a multi-million dollar company, while at the same time encouraging his children and grandchildren to become stewards of this treasure we call a family business. To get your own copy of this book, visit Amazon.com. Welcome back. We have been speaking with Richard Seaman, chairman of Seaman Corporation, as well as Susan Mead, who is the vice president of human resources at Seaman Corp. Our last discussion left off with talking about succession planning and how this relates to the investment the company makes in each one of their associates. We continue with talking about how Seaman Corp invest in their people, not only on a professional level, but on a personal one as well. One individual who knows a lot about this and has been a recipient of the great investment Seaman Corp offers its people is a man named Mark Norman. My name is Mark Norman. I've uh, been with the company uh, for 41 years. My current role is manager of sales operations for the Fiber Tire uh, Revenue Group. 41 years. You can't see his face here, but we can tell you Mark doesn't look old enough to have worked any job for 41 years. This time has afforded him to see many versions of the business. But one thing he has seen from day one is the commitment the Siemens had to both the customers they served and the associates they employed. Unfortunate because I've been able to be at the, as the, came in as the company was starting their growth, you know. Um, so I was able to see and be experience those changes and those things, what we had to do to grow, grow the business. I think, you know, the philosophy when I first started, you know, was basically from Dick and from his father is that, you know, we want to take care of that that customer, we want to take care of that order, we want to do everything we can to make sure that the customer is provided either the best product that we can do, but also the service and, and timeliness of things from that standpoint. So those were developed roles, you know, things that we developed in, it was one of those Things that, you know, been fortunate to see the uh, technology changes, but, you know, from writing daily sales orders on a whiteboard, you know, to now we have generated reports off of a ERP system. So it's a whole different, different aspect. But years, we've never lost that sense of what can we do when that order comes to us? Okay, so we've taken that approach is that, you know, every single customer is important. Is it, is it true to say everyone is treated equally? No, that's not that's not the case. But you do look at that customer of what you're selling, what what they're purchasing from you, and then you you take that. But in the in the things of, of uh, experiences with the people in the organization, it's always been that you know we've added the resources that we've needed to grow the business. But when somebody was coming into the business, the aspect of them to help them understand we were. Okay, we yes, we are an industrial coated textile company, but we're more than that. And I think because we're a family owned business, that philosophy, that culture uh, is a little different from a publicly held company. And so we do things a little differently here. 
people coming in. Sometimes that's that's great. They see that, and sometimes like, whoa, I don't, I don't, you know, I never, never experienced where you know you're taking the notion, you're taking, given the thing to move forward, you know, to do what is right. It was your 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 own business the luxury of working with Dick in the early ages or the early stages of the business. So his philosophy was that there isn't anything that we can't do, you know, so why not, you know, why not look at this and see what we can do to either to take care of this customer or create a new product or look at options that that we have, have available to us. So I think it's always been a thing with, with new associates coming in. And it's one of the things I do now when I'm, when I'm asked to to interview a, a, new, a new candidate, I'm not so much important about their qualifications and things from that standpoint. HR has has funneled that out, but I'm more of them understanding that if they do accept a position with us, who we are, what type of company we are, what 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 we do uh, that tries to make a difference, both in our own personal lives, but also in the associates that we work with. And then in the customers that we sell to in the markets that we're in. So it's it's really that it's just not your to me, you're just not here for the for the job. You know, it's it's a little bit more than that. As we have discussed before, the coaching seaman offers its executives and the processes they have in place to care for their employees is a benchmark of their success. Mark reflected on this as we discussed how Seaman Corp invests in its people. You know, when we developed the care process back in the mid mid eighties to late late eighties, um, that also put a new emphasis on the the associate and 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 the value that that associate played uh, within the organization. And I still think it's an important aspect. Everyone needs to know their value, and I think we've tried to do over the years demonstrate the value of the individual within the company whatever your role is it doesn't really matter but how does how does what do i what do i do how does that impact my my role the people that i work with the company the customer you know so it's it's helping people to understand that value which i think has been really really good and beneficial uh, for us working for a family-owned business is an asset Since the owners themselves value their family enough to make them a part of this entire operation, they also value the time they need with their family to keep their relationship strong. This can be seen throughout the way the business is run, and ultimately in how the associates are able to interact at work and have their family be a part of what they do. We're family-owned. And, and to me, I think new people coming in, they, they actually appreciate that that aspect of, of working for a family-owned business. Because I think it also adds to our own personal lives and what, what we do. Yeah, we all have to work in, in, in one sense, but it's how we balance that work life. And I think with a family-owned business, it's a little bit easier in balancing, you know, that your work life, your personal life, blending the two uh, as, you know, as much as as you can at times with other outside activities where where spouses are coming to different things or children are coming to different things. It just makes it more of a a company that you want to work for, you know, from that. that That's the way I see it. I'll put it that way. Susan also mentioned the family company and how that culture gives them a leg up when finding talent to join them. The benefits of working for a family, um, a family-owned business with a family culture, 
Um, first of all, it's a recruiter's dream because we have such fantastic family owners who really do promote that family culture. So when we're talking to candidates about coming into this business, we can so honestly and truthfully say we really are a family business. Um, from anything with from flex time, you know, the flexibility to work from home if your kids are sick, flex the flexibility to go attend a soccer game. Um, so some very basic things to um, family activities. We have an annual children's Christmas party um, where all the kids, the children of our associates come and, and see Santa and get a present and have lots of fun. And um, we have family, we have a summer picnic every year. That's, that's the entire family. So we really do um, value the, the, the need that the people have to have that work-life balance and have time for their families. And that comes straight from our owners all the way down. So from an HR perspective, it, it makes the recruiting much easier when you can truthfully say, we want you and your family. It's not just you and, and, and you're all welcome. And we're going to understand that you're a family person as well. You're not just a working person. Richard's family has made decisions day in and day out that have a long-term investment perspective. They see their associates as vital human capital. The kind of cultures that exist in multi-generational family businesses that truly want their business to, to continue on in future generations, because of the way they make their strategic decisions, and in many ways their tactical decisions, which are made for the long term, not for you know the short-term profits obviously public companies do, or further contrast, if it's um, a company that, that the owner wants to have an exit strategy and, you know, they're looking to sell to private equity, you know, again, they're making short-term financial decisions, trying to boost up the profitability. Or if it's a lifestyle business, you know, they're making decisions to generate cash to support their lifestyles. You get different cultures in organizations like that. And a multi-generational family business with a long-term investment perspective uh, will, first of all, see all of their associates as very, very important human capital, human resources to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Uh, They see it as investment in them, and they recognize that the organization, the business organization, will only be as good as their associates are. And a lot of the happiness of the associates depends on the communities that they live in. So they'll make investments. The companies will make investments in the communities so they can attract good leaders and good associates to be with them. So it's it's a, shall I say, self-fulfilling kind of prophecy that occurs because of the long-term strategic investments that are made from the standpoint of stewardship at so many levels, rather than from the standpoint of entitlement. If you want your business to grow, you have to look at, invest in, and maintain a great human resources function. Any business that wants to grow, for whatever the reason is, you're not going to be successful if you don't have a robust human resource function that provides investment in your human capital. If you want to be a multi-generational family business, perhaps the most important thing you need to have in your business is a culture of innovation because you have to constantly reinvent yourself for future generations. But right 
closely up there is the human resource function because you're not going to get innovation. You're not going to get growth. You're not going to get any of these other things required to be successful over generations if you don't have a robust human resource function that's dedicated to investing in your human capital. You heard it from the man himself, a robust human resources function that is dedicated to investing in your human capital. This is the foundation, and we hope you have been encouraged to make your human resources be a place where your associates are valued and can succeed. Join us next time when we talk about strategic planning. We will talk again with Richard Seaman, as well as other key players within the Seaman Corporation. I am your host, Crystal Ribble. Thanks for joining me.